Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. All right, we're going to begin reading for the sake of time. Um, that's in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. And it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And verse 9 through 14 says this, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, a, the star. Everybody say the star. This is important. Pay attention to the star. The star which they had seen in the east went before them. It means it's moving with them supernaturally. Somehow, I don't know. I've never seen a star move except for shooting stars. But nonetheless, the star went before them that was in the east till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary and his mother and fell down and worshiped him. I read the scripture last week and you know the story. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented three gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not go back to Herod. Why is that? Because Herod wanted to kill the young child. Okay. They didn't return to Herod because they received a dream. So they departed, and an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring back word to you, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, meaning Joseph, he took the young child and married his mother by night, and they departed to Egypt. I'm going to move down to uh, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. So that particular scripture in Matthew was referring to the wise men. Now we're going to listen from the shepherd's perspective. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 16, and then I'll conclude. And it came to pass in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Cornelius, or Cornelius uh, was governing Syria. So he went to be registered, everyone to his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn, just like we sung about this morning. And now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you glad tidings or good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is to you... This day in the city of David, a Savior who is called Christ the Lord, Jesus. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, 
goodwill toward men. So it was that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. First of all, I want to take this moment and I want to identify these starstruck moments. How many can admit that these were amazing moments that happened in the scriptures here? Well, at the same time, we cannot ignore the fact that there were some troubling things happening in the scriptures simultaneously. It's amazing to me that when I see God at work in people's lives, that it usually does not exclude trouble at the same time. As a matter of fact, many times blessings in your life attract trouble. I can't get an amen in here. A few of the starstruck moments that I'm seeing here is, first of all, how supernatural it was, and I identified it just a moment ago, is a star shows up just because of the birth of Jesus. My mom's probably not going to laugh too much when I make this statement, but I couldn't even get my dad to show up at my birth, much less a star. A star. Anybody ever had a star show up when you showed up? What an amazing moment, but how supernatural that was, a star. Secondly, the star goes before them supernaturally, and the way that I interpret that is this star literally led them. This was before iPhone. This was before Apple. This was before our GPSs, but God sent a star to be a GPS for these wise men and led them, and it says in the Bible, and I quote, it stood over where the young child was. All these amazing supernatural things that were happening, God sounding a trumpet to the world that my son has just been born into the earth. Thirdly, obviously Jesus is born, the Son of God attempting to build a bridge between his separated people, his, the humanity, and building a bridge back to them, making a way for you to be reconciled to him between you and himself. What an amazing thing. That is something very supernatural, amen? If it wasn't for the Son of God being born, where would we end up? Eternal separation, what an, what an amazing, amazing moment. And then you've got here, you've got a bunch of angels appearing to some shepherds. We're not talking about kings. He went from, you know, angels and, and stars showing up to kings to now shepherds, two different sides of the spectrums, people who are, on, who are on two different side of the you know, equator, right? We've got somebody from Pine Hills being showed up to. We've got somebody from, uh, you know, Lake Mary or Windermere. And, and God is simultaneously speaking to the very lowest in, in those times to the very highest in courts at that time. Very amazing. Somebody say amazing. But at the same time, I can't ignore all the trouble that's going on at the same time. Amen. You've got Joseph and Mary traveling to Bethlehem. Now, the Bible says that she was with child. Now, now based on the time, if you, if you study this, the, the, more than likely she's in her eighth or nine month when this lady is traveling. So I can imagine Mary's face. I wish my wife was here. I'd love to see hers, but she won't even get in my work truck, much less on the back of a donkey and travel nine days to Bethlehem. I looked it up recently. I actually GPSed it. Thank God for GPS. I GPSed uh, how far it was from Nazareth near Galilee all the way to uh, the nativity scene, which would have been in Bethlehem. And that's 2.1 hours drive time with roads. They didn't have roads then. 
So you can imagine them traveling through the hillside. I can imagine her slapping her husband in the back of the head and say, do you know how dangerous this is? There were thieves, there were robbers, and generally when you walked on, you, you, would, you would normally walk off-road to avoid people at night if you're traveling at such a long distance. Again, my wife won't even ride in a van or one of my work trucks, much less get on a donkey for nine days to travel, amen? That's trouble. Happy wife, happy life. Well, I can assume his wife was not very happy. Look at somebody and say, trouble. And then you've got a king that Jesus doesn't even have a chance because you got this king who's looking for the young child's life. He's wanting to spill blood. He's wanting to kill Jesus. Why? Because if he is the king being born to the Jews, there's a pretty good chance that Jesus is going to take over Herod's kingship. So Herod is seeking the young child's life. All these different difficulties intertwine and intermingled in this amazing story. Not to mention when they get there, you know, the ride was nine days long. They say it was 90 to 100 miles trekking through woods and hillsides up and down with a donkey and all of their things. And, and, they, and they end up getting there and they look for a room to stay in. And the Bible says there is no room in the inn, nowhere to stay. I recently went uh, to a house I was invited to this past week. It was deep in the heart of Apopka, one of the, I guess it's the Bel Air of Apopka. And there's many, if there is a Bel Air, it's the Bel Air of Apopka. It's, it's far north in Apopka. I, I forget the community's name. It's a gated community, but each house has several acres on it. And she had a stable with about, I don't know, six stables in it, a full ranch. I was amazed by it. But, but I don't know if you have ever been in a stable before. And stables are really, really smelly. And so not only had they traveled this really, really long distance, but they end up in a stinky situation. I mean, if I, if I was Mary or if I was Joseph and an angel appeared to me and said, listen, the son of God is going to be born to you, you would think that God would provide a way for him to at least stay in some type of luxury or comfort. So you got all these different things happening simultaneously, and not to mention after Jesus is birthed in that moment, just a day or two later, an angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph and says, hey, listen, I want you to flee. As we read, I want you to flee to Egypt now. So they just got through riding nine days on the back of a donkey. They end up being in a manger for a couple of days, and then they have to flee to Egypt, which is another hundred miles away. All these difficult situations intermingled happening simultaneously. And then Herod figures out, these wise men have deceived me, which means that would be treason. So when those wise men were saw by Herod again, more than likely Herod's going to kill him. So these guys are running for their life. Jesus is running for his life. All these problems. Everybody say problems. And so it, 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 I, want, I want to encourage you this morning because I, I want to encourage you that in our own lives, when God is blessing us, generally great blessings get eclipsed by great difficulties. And so here you have miracles and madness all happening at the same time. You've got a mark in history and you've got a mark on mother's hearts because Herod finds out that he's being deceived and he sends soldiers, Roman soldiers, soldiers, and kills every male child in that city under two years and younger. Here you got humanity about to be saved by the Savior, but not before all these little male children are destroyed. Here you got the story of both triumph and tragedy. Here at the same time you have both a dream come true, the Son of God coming in the, in the world, going to save humanity, while at the same time it's the greatest nightmare. And that's why I'm entitling this message, 
the star and the stench. I figured I would get a laugh out of that. And there are many lessons in life that it will teach you, right? Amen? And I am becoming more and more, as I'm getting a little bit older, and I'm facing more hardship, I'm facing more pain, I'm facing more things privately, and I'm finding out that just because you call Jesus Lord and Savior will not exempt you from trouble in your life. But at the same time, we cannot allow the blessings of God to be overshadowed and quenched just because we're facing difficulties at the same time. Because oftentimes, they get intermingled and they happen all together. Does anybody understand what I'm saying here today? So there's a first, first a couple things I want to extrapolate, and then I want to identify. And there are four things I think that we should do when we are both experiencing the blessings of God and troubles all at the same time. And one of the main things that we are to do is don't focus on all the difficulties. Focus on the star. Somebody say, focus on the star. In other words, focus on God. Really simple. When everything is going on wrong around you, everything seems to be falling apart, the last thing you should do is look at all the difficulties because oftentimes what you look at the most grows the most and begins to exacerbate and then you come to a point where you can no longer see the hand of God working in your life and the enemy is a master at this, getting you to look at the small things and making mountains out of them. Somebody say, focus on God. I love, what do you mean by focus on the star, first of all? It says, in Revelation, it says this, I, Jesus, it's Revelation 22, verse 16, for you theologians, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is the star. Somebody say, look at the star. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And we all have to keep our eyes focused. You have to be careful here. Somebody say, be careful. Nudge somebody and say, be careful. You have to make sure that you remain focused on him and what he's up to in our lives or we will inevitably fall into discouragement. Discouragement. And I, when I look at Joseph and Mary when they were in that stable, although all these events were happening because my imagination, just my holy imagination, runs wild when they say a stable. But they like said it like, okay, there was no room in the end. I'm like, how do you just pass over that? And you talk about the star and you talk about the angels and you give all these amazing descriptions. But when it comes to the difficult situation that you're obviously facing, you traveled nine days on the back of a donkey, you get to the, to the stable or you get to the city and they offer you a stable to sleep in with some cows donkeys and camels and you're leaving out all the dirty laundry can you give us more here but she had a revelation or actually the writer had a revelation we don't want to exacerbate nor magnify the problems here we want to focus on the star say focus on the star and this is where Peter really failed at in his early stages of his walk with Christ and it was identified in the time when Jesus called him out on water. Peter was doing fine. We've heard this story over and over, and most of us church people, we can rehearse it. He stepped out on the water, and as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was moonwalking. But as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to slowly but surely begin to sink. And that should be a lesson to all of us. Don't allow your problems surrounding you to get bigger than what God is up to in your life. Keep your eyes focused on the star. Amen? Somebody say, keep your eyes focused on the star. So I have a question to you. 
What is more important in your life today? Is it your comforts or is it being in the center of God's will? Because when we really recognize in our hearts, which I believe Mary and Joseph identified here, we are okay with all this other stuff happening as long as I know I'm in the center of your will. Do you know why I'm okay with this church not being filled and not having to add rows? Because I will be okay as long I'm in, as, I'm, as I know that I know that I know that I've heard the call and I'm in the center of God's will. You will become unsatisfied in your walk if you don't know you should go to school or I don't know if I'm supposed to be married to this person or I don't know I'm supposed to take this career path or I don't know if I should do X, Y, Z. You will always be frustrated and you will begin to sink if you begin to question if you are in the center of God's will. I love what the scripture says, a righteous man's steps are ordered by the Lord. Listen, if you've acknowledged Jesus in that situation, Friend, son, daughter, I'm probably too young to say that. You are in the center of God's will because God's promise is that you are in the center of my will if you're acknowledging me in all of your ways. So I can do okay. As long as everything is maybe not so perfect, I will be okay as long as I know he put me here. Amen to that. Second point, cherish the moment. Nudge somebody and say, cherish the moment. We all too often we forget that the enemy sets up strategies to get us focused on problems. I believe there's on one hand, I feel that God oftentimes allows difficulties, but we cannot forget the fact that the enemy oftentimes, even when we're in the center of God's will, sends things to get us frustrated. Why does he do that? Because he wants us, his number one reason to get us to get frustrated is because he wants us to abandon the process that God puts us in. I didn't hear no amens to that. When the going gets tough, keep sticking it out. Oftentimes we abort the process too easy. And so I see people all the time, they go from spouse to spouse to spouse because they finally get to a point in their relationship where they hit a wall and they're like, they abandon the process. It's the same thing whether you're a minister. When you, when you, when you can't get a, you know, you can't see the progress or we want to see more happening in the communities. When you hit a wall, you don't abandon the process. You stay committed to the process. If you're at work and you don't seem to be getting progress or you're in school and can't see progress, progress, you have to come to a point where you trust the processes of God because people who abandon early, they exclude themselves from the blessings of God. But those who are willing to go through will be groomed by God himself, chiseled and made by God himself to fit the blessing. Don't try to receive blessing that you have not been groomed for. And God is all about grooming us. And he oftentimes uses difficult situations to get us ready for what he has for us next. Can somebody say amen to that? Somebody say, cherish the moment. I know all too well what it, it's like to get um, distracted in really cool moments. Now, I have a pretty funny story. Um, recently, I went to, it's called Gaylord um, on Ice. How many have heard of Gaylord on Ice? I think today, uh, oh, I'm sorry, this year has probably been the best year, not today. It's been the best year so far. They had, uh, of course, I like the Polar Express. I love Christmas, I love lights, I love all the little accoutrements. Of course, we never wanna forget um, you know, what Christmas is all about, but I brought my family out to the Gaylord Hotel. We, we actually went with some friends, and um, it's probably about an hour walkthrough if you take your time. And I think they say there's over two million 
Everybody say million. I said two million pounds of ice that is carved. Um, dye is put in it, and uh, they carve these huge... I'm talking about there was a, um, a train, that, a life-size train carved um, in this walkthrough, and it's an hour long. If you haven't been, you have to go. But, but the, 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 so it leads to all these different scenes, and uh, the, the, the theme was Polar Express. And so we go through all these different uh, themes, and we're enjoying ourselves. And at the very end, it, it works its way up to this last moment. Now, the last thing, and I know they did this intentionally, it's a crystal clear, life-size, I'm talking about as big as me and even bigger, life-size nativity scene. I wish I, I do have a picture. I don't have it to show you right now. I wish I'd sent it to Joel to project up here. But it's a life-size nativity scene. And that's the only theme that doesn't change throughout the year. And it's the last scene. Well, just the room right before we're about to leave, Zoe decides that she doesn't want to be in the room anymore. And I kind of can't blame her. We've dressed her warm. She has this parker on. A parker, I think, is a, I don't know if it's a European word, but it's like a big coat, a parker. Parka. Look at you guys. You guys have been. So this parka, she's covered up. She's bundled up, but she starts screaming and crying. I want to go. I want to go. And so literally the last room, I'm like, the last room is the nativity scene. This is why we came here. And Zoe begins to be a distraction. And so I have to quickly walk through. She's screaming and crying and thrashing. And I'm taking a picture of it as I'm leaving the room. But that's just how the enemy works, right? In our own personal life. In no way, shape, or form am I calling my daughter the enemy. But I certainly think he used her that day. But that's how it is in life. When you are coming up to beautiful moments in life, the enemy will send certain things to quench the beauty of that situation and will keep you from cherishing the great thing that God's trying to do, the great things that he's trying to bring your attention to. He sends frustrations. He sends trouble in relationships. The enemy does. And he tries to get you to not cherish the great things that God is doing in your life. Look at somebody and say, cherish the moment. Number three, you're going to like this one. Accept the stench. Accept the stench. Nudge somebody and say that and look at them with conviction in your eyes. Accept the stench. We all too often discard these situations as though they are not from God or in his perfect will or purpose. I firmly believe that people who try to get out of relationships that get really difficult are the very relationships that God wants to use to rid specific people of pride. I go quiet up in here. There are certain jobs God will put you right in the center of that you absolutely hate, but they are a part of his perfect plan. He will put you in the middle of stinky situations to desensitize you of trouble so that you can be made useful in the future by him. It's God's way of building thick skin in you because we're, we're fighting an enemy in this world. How many know we're in a fight? And God has a problem using thin-skinned people. So God will use stinky situations, hard situations, difficult spouses, difficult jobs, hardship, pain, and trial to groom you and to mold you into his likeness and in his image so that you can withstand the onslaught so that you can reach your destiny. Amen? Because our walk is a walk of faith, and it's also oftentimes a walk of trouble. And Jesus promised it. 
This gospel that's going out that we're supposed to be, you know, rich and never go through trouble. Listen, I believe that we are supposed to be healthy. I believe that we're supposed to experience the blessings of God, but we cannot, it's erroneous to think that it's going to be excluded from suffering and pain oftentimes because they both are intermingled oftentimes. Amen? Somebody say, accept the stench. I want you to think about the Apostle Paul when I say that, not to take attention away from the nativity scene where Jesus was being born, but I want you to think about that. Oftentimes, people discredit their tough situations and say, this is not from the Lord. Listen, if you screamed and you've cried and you've prayed and you've fasted and you've spoken tongues over this thing and it still hasn't moved, friend, I want to exhort you that it could be possible that it is a thorn sent from the Lord. How many remember when Paul said, hey, listen, I have a thorn in the flesh. I prayed to the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And here's what Jesus said to me, Paul says, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. God will send thorns in your life not to make you, not to diminish you, not to hurt you, not even to destroy you, but to depend on him. My friend, I have to tell you, God will never create a life for you of ease, comfort, pleasure, and prosperity whereby you do not need him. He actually does the opposite. He creates a life whereby you are driven to your knees, worship him, trust in him, grow in his likeness and his image. That's how we bear fruit. It's not in all the great things that are happening in our lives that we grow. It's in all the hard times that we grow. I want you to listen to this in 2 Corinthians. Is anybody getting anything out of this? In, in 2 Corinthians 12, listen to what the Message Bible says. This is the, I, I read it in the New King James Version, and it's fun, as I just mentioned, about Paul having the thorn in the flesh. Now watch what it says in the Message Version uh, for 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, and it says this, It may or may not be up on the screen. Because of the extravagance of revelations that I've received, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap, which doesn't necessarily mean a physical handicap. In other words, it could have been something mentally that he was dealing with. He could have had some impairment with his sight. He could have had a physical handicap. The Bible doesn't specifically say, but he says, I've been given a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations, Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of this as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, Paul says, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap. In other words, I quit focusing on the stench. Come on. I quit focusing on the handicap, and I began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving on my weakness. Now I take my limitations in stride and with good cheers. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, oppositions, bad breaks, I let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. 
Whatever pushes you to your knees is a blessing from God. Accept it as a blessing because we don't get to know God when we're standing and dancing and basking in his blessings. We get to know God when we are driven to our knees. We get to understand his, what he has suffered in our own suffering, and we understand that his strength gets made perfect in our weakness in those moments. That's where we experience his grace We cannot experience his grace apart from any suffering. It's because where things are weak, where things are hard and tough, it's where we see God show up in our lives. And I have to tell you this, I've I've sat with pastors, I've met a lot of amazing people, I've been around some, even some really successful people. I remember not that long ago sitting on the front porch of a multi-millionaire, and and, and there was nobody that I've ever met in the church nor outside of the church who wasn't experiencing great blessings and great suffering simultaneously. Which brings me to my next point. See the beauty in both. Look at somebody and say, see the beauty in both. And as I said before in this story, they give all these descriptions of all the amazing things that were happening. Angels were speaking. Stars were showing up. Kings were bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All these amazing moments. Yet the Bible leaves out all these little small descriptions, which I wish they would have talked about. And it tells me this. If we want the blessings in our lives, it's foolish to think that troubles are going to be excluded from them. It doesn't mean that our lives are going to be problem-free, but here's what Jesus promised. When you go through trouble, I will be with you. That's his promise. And let me tell you something. That's not about a feeling. Just because you don't feel that God is going through it with you, God is there because that's what his word says, and that's one of his promises. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? If we want to make it really practical, when I went to that um, barn that I was telling you guys about, and you can stand to your feet as I close here in just a minute. We're going we're gonna to be early today. When I went to that stable, I began to talk to this uh, lady. I'll, I'll, I'll keep her name uh, out of it. It was a beautiful stable, probably a half a million dollars. It was beautiful on a huge ranch. And... Um, as I begin to recognize some of the smells and some not so nice, um, there was this excitement and glimmer in her eye. This lady oftentimes has to spend most of her time grooming these horses and taking care of them. She had this whole wash area. She had all the grooming brushes. And, you know, her husband didn't care too much. And when I got there, he's like, this is her deal. You know, I don't want to have anything to do with it. They were going to do some renovations and things. And so she's telling me about the horses, and she's got this huge smile on her eye. You can tell it's like the jewel of her property. Husband doesn't feel the same way. And, and I got a revelation, and it kind of brings me to that last point, that both have to exist together. Both blessings, in other words, the star and the stench, all at the same time. So she is allowing her love and her care for these animals to far outweigh the stinky situation, both figuratively and spiritually speaking, even naturally speaking. I got a question for you. What is it in your life that is really smelly in this Christmas season that is trying to quench or trying to stifle out God's blessing in your life? If you want a horse stable, it comes with a stench. 
If you want a promotion, it may come with a headache. If you want to be married, well, all the married people say amen. If you want to remain married, it oftentimes means you might have to go through some stinky seasons where you will have to allow the star to shine brighter than the stench. If you want a car, you might have to end up doing some maintenance. There's nothing in this world that exists from trouble or excuse me, where trouble doesn't, doesn't, doesn't eventually come. You can't have a nice big house without having huge upkeep. You can't have God in your life without eventually running into trouble. Just like you can't have horses without a stench. You cannot have a star without a stench. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.